0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. We're glad that you're here. You spend Sunday night with us. So we have a present for you. We are a high-class organization. We want to thank you for coming. If you are not heavily caffeinated, we're going to sugar you up. We got a treat. I'm going to call our ushers down, the hospitality team. One for everyone. No pushing, no shoving, but this is for you. Make sure everybody gets at least one here, okay? All the way through the entire ballroom. Pass them out. Pass them out, please. Everybody needs at least one. Don't open them. Don't open them. Okay, I'm gonna, I got my own box here. I'm going to start opening that up. Everyone getting at least one. No mas. Okay, everyone got it? <laughs> well, tonight we come to the conclusion of our series, Brand New You, which is uh, really about God's desire to give us a spiritual makeover this year. Jesus said that involved everything, actually learning to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. So we've been looking at each of those areas of our life, right? Renewing our mind with God's truth. Opening our heart, the hurts, the wounds, offering that back to God. Last week we looked at our finances, so intellectual, emotional, financial. But that last area says love the Lord your God with all of your strength which invites us to consider loving God with the physical part of our being, that is our bodies. So tonight we're going to talk about appetites, the physical appetites we have, uh, specifically with regard to two areas, food and sex. And uh, just a little disclaimer, you need to know we're going to talk real openly about lust here, okay, but but not just like the the sexual kind of lust. A lot of times we think lust is like just purely a sexual thing, but tonight we're going to talk about food lust as well, hence uh, this treat that you just got. And, and, and everyone knows what this is, right? It's not a ring ding, it is a... Devil dog, devil dog, probably like a southern food, right? Uh, I remember discovering these as a kid, and it's like, what can be better than a Twinkie or a Chocodile, right? You know, a devil dog. Remember it from your lunchbox? Um, it, please, I'm going to ask you, now some of you have already violated it. You're like, Dude, we had seconds on this, you've already eaten your first. Try to not unwrap this, try not to eat it, no matter how tasty it looks or, or, or smells, because tonight I want to talk about cravings our physical desires right our longings our senses and fleshly hungers because we we all have things that we see and like oh we feel powerless or or, or we smell or taste or want to touch this primal instinct that's triggered in us that we want to indulge or consume and just living in america we're all familiar with that and maybe you have different things that when you see them or or you um or you taste them or maybe when you click on them on the internet right you feel like you are powerless like they just draw you in and you have no control unless you consume them. So we want to talk about our appetites tonight, our urges, and if our cravings. And by the way, when we talk about cravings, need to make a disclaimer. If you are a pregnant woman with us, you have a total free pass. None, none of this applies to you, okay? So, so let's pray and, uh, and, and then we'll jump into it. Father, all of us um, just gathered here tonight in this room listening online, we all have our appetites, Lord, our, our weaknesses, our addictions. And, um, and all the things that just seem to, um, to call to us and keep us from living free and loving you, Lord, with all of our being. Um, so tonight, we just want to come clean and maybe talk about things here that we don't we wouldn't even talk about anywhere else. Um, in fact, we even invite you to make us uncomfortable um, as you need to by your spirit so we can be just stirred at the deepest places, Lord. Would you, we, we want to be free. We're asking for your help, Jesus. So lead us gently into your truth. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see in a new way, and just change us, God, from the inside out for good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, we want to start by going back to the beginning. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is the book of beginnings. I don't want to insult you, but it's on page 2 uh, of the Bible. So hopefully you can find that. Um, we go back to creation because that's really where we get our first glimpse of God's dream for our world. Before it was marred by brokenness or lust or addiction or any of those things that we, we know today. Um, here's the deal. As, par- as followers of Jesus Christ, part of our job, our mission in the world, is to reclaim creation, what its original intent was when God designed it. And and two gifts that God really gives to mankind at the beginning are very basic and very primal ones, but but we all fear the, the, the pull. Food and sex. So two very basic appetites common to humanity. So with your devil dog in one hand, okay, and your Bible in the other, let's look at the first six verses of Genesis 3. You can read this with me. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of that wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Uh, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, uh, was, was good for food and was, really not bad, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and then he Ate it. This is our first glimpse of brokenness entering the world, and it centers around food. The woman hears about the food, she sees the food, she touches the food, she tastes the food. All of her five senses are engaged by the second page of the Bible and they arouse in her a physical appetite, a physical craving. Something comes over her that has a certain power and it's like she can't resist it. I am so glad we're just not like that anymore. There's some discussion like what kind of fruit this was. Some people say an apple, but you'll notice the text actually doesn't name the fruit. I think there's a reason for that. Some are like, oh, it's probably a mango or passion fruit or berries. But, but I want to take a moment to clear that up because I think all of us innately know what it really was. I'm, I'm thinking watermelon. Um, you know, that for me, like in the summer, you know, kind of thumping that thing, like cut it, my friends and I on a hot summer day, you know, just die, plunge your teeth into that wet humanity and like dribbles down your chin. Okay, I'm getting worked up. But this fruit arouses all these senses within her. Look at it. Taste, touch, sight, smell. She even hears about it. Did you look at what the serpent says to her? He says, God knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened. So catch this. Attached to this food is a promise, a promise that this is actually capable of doing something for you, far greater than just satiating your physical appetite. Enjoy this, and it will open you up to an experience that God has previously been withholding from you. It's just like really, it's 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 more than. And she takes it, and she's deceived. And the rest of human history kind of tells a sad story of that betrayal. Now, this is particularly important because of what we're told about God himself in chapter 2. Would you skip back one chapter to Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9? It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. Circle that word Eden. You can write delight in your text there because Eden translates to delight, the garden of delight. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, so there was aesthetically beautiful, and good for food. There was practical beauty. And the first thing we learn is that this God of this Bible is a God of beauty. He loves to create things that are beautiful, pleasing to the eye. Now, you guys know this. Anyone who has appreciated like a, a Maui sunset, right? Or tasted a prime cut of like Kobe steak, you understand this. God loves creating beautiful things for our enjoyment. In other words, it's the gift of a loving creator who is pro-pleasure. Pro-pleasure. I know. Somehow along the way, we got this idea that God is like anti-pleasure, right? But not at all. Actually, if he wanted to, think about this, he could have made everything taste like cardboard, right? But he didn't. He actually doesn't just give us a stomach. He gives us taste buds to enjoy, to savor the juiciness of a plum, the tang of an orange, the savoriness of a steak. And this is a reflection of of, of his capacity for beauty and his love for us that he makes something that's just a necessity he makes it pleasurable as well enjoyable, a source of delight so this is a God who's pro-pleasure he is all about human delight he loves engaging the senses now this is interesting and it's a primal gift that we enjoy to this day Um, those of you who are into gardening know this um, last summer, my, the Garden of the Light My family and I, we actually planted our first garden in, in the back of our house And in the spring, we were like just so thrilled When those little buds, you know, started coming up And, and, and blossomed into cans of Diet Coke And appeared on the tree And the Twinkie bush just kind of blossomed for us And we we're like, oh, it's beautiful No, why not? Because we know it's not natural That stuff is like produced like in a factory In like Trenton somewhere Sorry, Trenton But you know, we all know That the healthiest kinds of food come most directly from the earth, right? There's something where it's more processed, the less organic it is, the more, you know, dyes and artificial sweeteners and flavors. The more something is processed and produced by man, the less natural it comes from the earth as ordained by God. But we also know that as human beings, men and women, we actually like to simulate pleasureful things. So you can enjoy Coke and Twinkie, I guess, you know, it's... But you know it will not be nearly as satisfying and nourishing as like a fresh cut apple or water on a hot day. So at the very beginning, catch this, Genesis 2, God creates us with appetites. He puts us in this garden and plants natural things in the garden of delights that he intends us to enjoy, appreciate, and derive pleasure from. Now, this doesn't just apply to food, but to sexual appetites as well. Skip ahead a few verses to Genesis 2.20. Um, you know that Adam was set in the garden of delights all alone, but God's like, all alone ain't good. He's a relational creature. He has other needs, plants, animals, not so much. It says on verse 20, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, which is not very hard to do. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he be taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt what? No shame. The naked here is more than just skin. This is more than just birthday suit naked. This is a profound metaphor. This is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. God creates woman for man, man for woman. Beautiful creatures, natural appetites. He brings them together. They become husband and, what's the word in verse 25? Wife. And they're naked, all natural, and they felt no shame, which is significant. Because sexuality is a source of beauty and delight as well in God's eyes. There is an intimacy here, a connection. They're not, imagine, they're not hiding anything. Imagine standing before your beloved. There's no regret, no heartache, no embarrassment for past stuff. There's been no strife. There's been no, like, baggage. No cold shoulder. No irreconcilable differences. No breakup. No regret. Total openness, honesty, and vulnerability just before one other human being. And you know what? It's actually totally okay. So you see, in both cases, food and sex, God creates the first humans with these natural appetites and needs, and he puts them in this environment where everything is to be enjoyed in its proper place. Food in its proper place, enjoy it. Sex in its proper place, enjoy it. Relationships in their proper place, enjoyment. Everything for our enjoyment in its proper place. What often happens when we get in trouble with our addictions or overdoing it or our compulsions or whatever it is uh, you know, in the flesh that we kind of struggle with, we sometimes react and say, well, that's bad, right? Pleasure is bad. (laughs) But But it's actually not the case. Because God's intent is that we would enjoy both food and sex within its proper place within his creation. So the question is, well, then what's the serpent's lie? Because God actually is proud of this whole thing. Over and over, he surveys his creation. He's like, it's good, it's good, it's good. Food is good. Marriage is good. Sex, it's great. This, it doesn't get any better than this. You guys, I'm going to set you here. Have fun. Run around naked. Have as much watermelon pie as you want. Be satisfied. Over and over again, it's good, it's good, it's good. And so what is the serpent's lie? What does he tell the woman? Well, you know what? This is good, but I'm not sure it's good enough. I think there's more to it than that. If you just enjoy these gifts in this context God has, you may be missing out, actually. This this, this fruit, this natural gift, maybe there's something more to it than just pleasing to the eye and good for food. Something more than what God is offering. Let me phrase this in a way you can remember. The serpent, in essence, promises what the fruit can't possibly deliver, a better reality than the one God has created. And that's why she's so profoundly betrayed. Because for the serpent, it's not enough to enjoy the gifts of food and sex, for instance, in the context God's created them. He's like, there's more to it than that. And you guys know this. This is how temptation works. It goes straight to the impulse that all of us have that somewhere suspects maybe God is holding out. And just maybe, satisfaction can be found just beyond our appetite, just out of reach within and through the consumption of things like food and sex, beyond what God's intended them to do. He promises what the fruit can't possibly deliver, a new reality. And that's a serpent's lie. Within this lies your salvation, something the fruit can never deliver. See, you guys know this. There's nothing inherently wrong with fruit. It's the promise that it holds out, that God isn't fully good. This world he's created and how he set this up, the way he's created to work isn't good enough. And when our senses get the best of us and bite into that, and we look at all these kinds of things for more than natural nourishment, that's when God created natural necessities like food and love morph into gluttony and lust. How many of you have heard of the seven deadly sins? You saw the movie Seven with Brad Pitt, right? That was their idea. We all know these, right? We know the biggies, greed, anger, envy, pride. Interestingly enough, gluttony and lust are the only sins that abuse two things that are essential to our survival as humans, food and love. You cannot survive without food. That's obvious. And humans cannot survive without love, relationships. That is a fact. We have a God-given hunger and capacity for both. And this is where it curdles. This is where the apple gets twisted by the serpent and turned into a simulated pleasure, not a true pleasure, a simulated one, a devil dog. The devil dog, by the way, is an incredible product, is it not? (laughs) The fact that this is labeled as a food product is just the chutzpah of American you know, marketing. This is actually incredible. Take a look at this. Um, Let me read the contents of the, uh, the nutrition facts. Uh, of this, right? Uh, Serving size, one cake, 170 calories. Vitamin A, 0%. Uh, Vitamin C, 0%. Calcium, 0%. In other words, it is cardboard, okay? You can actually just eat the box itself, not what's in it, the box itself and get about the same nourishment here. Um, And I love this one. I love this. Um, May contain peanuts. Like, we're not really even sure what's in here. Um, We're not even... I don't know, you know, but just go ahead, trust us, eat it. Um, that's like, man, you know, gluttony and lust invite us to seek nourishment through simulated pleasures, not natural God-ordained originals, but to look beyond for just a quick and dirty way of getting an easy pleasure hit. Some of you know this from firsthand experience with food, for instance. Um, gluttony is literally abusing the pleasure of food by looking for it to something it can't deliver. It's, it's not about the amount of food. It's not about like losing weight. It is the about the intent of your eating. In other words, I mean on the most basic level, right? Food is intended by God to do what? Satisfy your hunger, nourish your physical body. But more and more, our culture encourages us actually to abuse food, to use God-ordained pleasure to relieve, not physical, but emotional or spiritual problems. And so a lot of us actually eat when we're sad or stressed or lonely, not just hungry. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about about this? Okay, a few of you honest, thank you. Let me expose the whole church staff. We had a meeting back in December, and it was like coming towards the end of the year, and we had a million things to do. And we were like, we have this much time to do it, we've got this many things, we don't have enough people, and we had this epic meeting. It was like three hours long, and it was just like hitting our heads against a brick wall. Was like, how are we going to do this all by the end of the year? We don't have enough people, but what if we did it and change the schedules? And we were so overwhelmed as a staff, we were just like, could not. And so it was a high tension, high stress meeting, everything. And like, at the end of three hours, I'm like, you know what, guys, let's just take a break. Everyone take a break. Go back, like, you know, to your, your, your your desk. Do some, do some email or something like that. And Let's come back to this thing later. And everyone's like, okay, you know, sounds good. So I go back, like, towards the bathroom. I have to walk through, like, we have this little kitchenette. It's like this tiny little kitchenette. And I go walking back there, and all 14 of our staff people are in the back. Like, going, like, just, like, pounding food. You couldn't believe it. Somebody actually, a congregation, works for Nabisco, and they had dropped off. They have two little, literally, crates of Oreos. They said, you know, for the liquid kids. Wink, wink. And, uh, and literally, I'm not talking like people eating one or two Oreos. I'm talking about like the sleep. Ah, you know, just driving that thing down there. Stress eating. Has anyone ever eaten because they were stressed out, right? Yeah, okay. This is the idea. Using food to numb or anesthetize us when we're in pain. Or to stuff our emptiness when we're lonely. See, folks, the truth is, there is always a craving behind the craving. And the temptation, just as it was in the garden and continues to this day, is to look to lust for something it can't deliver. To use physical pleasure to deal with a deeper pain. Oftentimes, appetites reveal a deeper issue, like loneliness, and when we try to use food or sex to satisfy that craving, we come up empty because the fruit always promises what it can't deliver. So maybe for you, last week it was a tough day at work, but when you came home, I know, you actually ate the whole carton this time actually ripped it open and licked the lid too and so we walk around in life kind of stuffed but we're hungrier than ever because we're trying to fill this void or deal with some hurt that only god can touch or maybe when it comes to food it's not actually indulging maybe it's restricting because my life feels so out of control that maybe the one thing i can manage and gain in control is food And so I actually am kind of like managing it and depriving myself as a way of feeling in control. If we feel unlovely, we can starve ourselves, right? This is where we get anorexia or bulimia, right? Using food in a way it was never intended. So indulging or or, or restricting food, it was never meant to make you beautiful or to give you self-worth. Only God is capable of this. But the temptation is to look to the devil dog... For what it can never deliver, it is a deception as old as Genesis. And the promise is that the fruit will offer you something more than filling your stomach. And, 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 we, and we believe it. In other words, what, what for you is the most tempting way for you to abuse food when you are vulnerable? What, what would be your devil dog in this area? In, in fifth grade, um, my mom used to make me every day like a tuna sandwich and carrots. And um, that, that pretty much stunk, especially because I sat at the lunch table next to Michael Leshinsky, whose mom always gave him devil dogs and ringdings and snowballs. Anyone know what snowballs are? It's good times. And one time I was able to convince Michael to trade because he didn't have lunch. And and he traded actually his desserts, all that stuff for my tuna sandwich. He threw out the carrots, but he ate the tuna. And I had the ringdings and the snowballs. And can I tell you what seventh period social studies was like? I was on fire. I was like, woo! Social study. 15 minutes, man, of sugar buzz. But about a half hour later, I'm like, why am I actually hungry? I've just consumed about 9,700 calories in six minutes, um, and yet I'm still hungry. Why? Because the devil dogs, short term, can be a hit, but long term, will always leave you feeling empty and needing more. See, whenever we trade in the original gift that was given to us by our Heavenly Father for something that's minutially nourishing, it's a terrible trade long-term. I'm not just talking, by the way, about food here. This is the same with sex. I mean, you guys know this. Lust is literally looking to the gift of sex for something it can't deliver on. Those of you who are caught up in the, in the web of porn, you know what I'm talking about. When do you, when do you turn to porn most frequently? I know, none of us. Okay. Okay. When when are you most susceptible to... Typically, whenever we're hurting or angry or lonely or tired. And and we think it's just about like a physical appetite. It's like about sex, lack of sex. It's not. We all crave... You are built to crave intimacy, deep connection with another person. To know and be known. Sex is like the deepest expression of that. But porn lets you actually ditch the line... And, and, and cut out the relationships and commitment necessary for that to actually naturally flourish. So with porn, what happens is then a guy, he takes things into his own hands, literally, and while there is certainly a momentary physical release, you know what happens. Moments later, you're lonelier than ever and covered in a hot blanket of shame and guilt. Why? Because lust always promises something it can never deliver. Or, or if you find yourself constantly hooking up or w- waking up with a different person, is it really just about physical desire for sex? Or, or is there something deeper you're after? There's always a craving behind the craving. If it's the longing of a girl to say, to just know that I am desirable for someone actually wants to, to hold and embrace me and actually protect me because, you know, my father never even told me he loved me, let alone that I am lovely and desirable. And and, and so sex is not the real issue. There's a longing behind the longing. And we use our physical appetites to get at a spiritual deeper need. But when we leave in the morning, we're lonelier than ever. Why? Because it always promises what it can't deliver. What is the most tempting way for you to abuse sex when you're vulnerable? Think about that. In other words, what's, what's your devil dog? Those two areas, food and sex, these are primal appetites that compete with God himself. It goes back to the garden. The promise to bring lasting nourishment when they never can. That's literally why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.13. This is an amazing verse. He says, "...food for the stomach and the stomach for food." But here's the deal. God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, he's like, don't fall for it. Eating and sex are awesome. They're wonderful, natural things. But you need to honor God. That is prioritize your creator in the ordained context that he prescribed these to be enjoyed in. You know this. Part of being human and living in a broken world is to experience loneliness, loss, pain. And when that happens, we're offered the apple or the devil dog, a simulated pleasure. And the temptation is the same as it was in Genesis. Take this and be satisfied. Try this and you will really live. And the pain will go away. The problem is when we elevate our appetites over and above God, disaster follows. Paul's like, curb your appetite. Because if you, if you go for the devil dog, it will lead you into a downward spiral. He actually describes this process in Ephesians 4. It says this, Having lost all sensitivity... They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. It's an important phrase when to circle that, having lost all sensitivity. Um, those of you traveling down the road to addiction, you, you know what this means. Whether this is a food addiction or a sexual addiction or, or just take alcohol. It's the, proce- the process is always the same. It's, if it, if it, it used to be one or two got you buzzed, but now it takes three or four. And last year it actually was four, but now it 's a whole case, or just one hit used to do the trick, but it wears off now after a few hours. Why? Because having lost all sensitivity, porn always gets darker and more perverse that 's a fact it always it 's a, a track always It starts out with a few soft core shot, shots on the, on the hard drive, but then it becomes progressively darker because the search goes deeper. There have to be more people involved in more variations there 's always more leather. Why? Because what, because what got you off yesterday, it takes more today. Because lust always promises what it can never deliver. There's this British writer. Um, his name is Henry Fairley. He's not even a theologian. He's actually a cultural critic. He writes for the Washington Post. And he wrote a fascinating book called The Seven Deadly Sins for Today. And, uh, you know, seven deadly sins are actually a medieval concept. And he was like, no, 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 20th century, the same dynamics are involved and explain much of the hypersexuality we see in culture today. Check out what he writes. He says this, since lust will not take the time or the trouble to explore or develop any relationship to the full, none can satisfy it. It will whip itself to try anything that will revive its jaded feelings. So it's tired of fellatio. Then it will try its hand at a little sodomy. Weary of only one partner, it will advance to group sex. Unsure at last of its own sexuality, it will have recourse to bisexuality. Wearied and bored by the flesh, it will call for chains and leather jackets, and so on. This is a 20th century writer for the Washington Post. And he's basically echoing Paul's teaching to the church of Ephesus in A.D. 60. Having lost all sensitivity, they've just... They've given themselves over to sensualize so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. It all goes back to the garden. The craving behind the craving will never be satisfied. That's the natural result of the devil dog deception. Lust promises what it can never deliver. And the biggest irony of the whole thing is that whenever we buy the lie of of the devil dog, the most destructive effect is not physical, but it's spiritual. A lot of people see things like food or sex. We see the physical consequences. because So you're like, all right, I get it. If I overeat, I'll gain weight. Or if I binge and purge, I know I could damage my esophagus. Or if I sleep around, I could catch something. The dirty little secret of this whole deception is that even though we're dealing with physical, fleshly appetites, the deepest damage is to our soul. There is a spiritual cost to feeding the flesh. And the, really the first is that it erodes our capacity to actually enjoy natural beauty. This, this is incredible. But, but you'd think if we were like sensuous people, we would like have our senses so heightened, not so. Food, for instance, we know, was meant to awaken our senses, not numb us out. But if you give yourself like overeating or abusing food, guess what? It actually erodes your capacity to savor natural beauty and goodness. Some of you who are foodies or gourmets, you know know how to enjoy God's gift of food. Um, Colleen and I uh, saw this. We went on a trip. We were actually down in Atlantic City, and we went out to dinner. Someone had given us a certificate, Carol, at this place called Old Homestead Steakhouse. Has anyone heard of this? It is at the Borgata Casino. We were not there to gamble. Totally honest. We were there for a Bon Jovi concert. All right, I just said it. And we're like, we go to this old Homestead Steakhouse. And it's like one of those old school steak houses. And I was like, all right, you know, this is the prime cut. I'll, I'll order it. The guy comes, and it was amazing. It was like, you want to take a picture of food? I, and I could pack it away. He brought out 27-ounce porterhouse steak. You know what 27 ounces is? I was like, holy smokes. All right, I'm going to need a lot of A1. He's like, don't you dare desecrate the steak. With the A1, I was like, okay. He's like, this has been basted in its own juices and dry. And I cut it open, it's like, oh, a parting of the Red Sea. And you put it in, it's like melting your mouth. I was just like, this, this, is, this is amazing. And uh, I'm not even, I don't even like vegetables, but they had, a, they had asparagus and they came in their own little hot tub of like butter, you know, kind of around there. And we tried it and we're like, this is, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, it, it, wow, it was amazing. <laughs> it was. <clears throat> When we said grace, we were like, God, thank you. This was the most incredible meal we've ever had. Now, if you're a good American, if you've had a good experience one time, what do you need to do? Go a second time. So, this past summer, we're down the shore. We're like to my folks and say, hey, can you watch the kids? We ditched the kids, and we're like, let's go. Old Homestead Steakhouse. So, Colleen and I go down. We're going to do the whole thing over again, but this time, hey, we ditched the kids. So, we go out first to the movie theaters. We go out to the movies, and we're like, we're going to watch two movies because we ain't got the kids. And uh, and we go and it's one of those movie theaters where you get the tub of popcorn and they got this thing with the butter, <laughs> you know. And you just kind of just soak the thing in it. And Colin gets a little one of those little cups that she actually put salt in. So we go in there and uh, and you get that that tub of soda. Like, can does anyone even have a bladder that could hold that much Diet Coke? It's just ridiculous. So we go in and and we sit through two features, you know, just totally doing the whole thing, the whole thing of popcorn, the whole thing of Diet Coke, whatever. Done with the second movie we go back to our hotel we get all dressed up we go whole old homestead steakhouse and we're like I want the special the 27 and we and the food comes out and guess what our reaction is I think I'm going to be sick I don't even want to look at that what's changed the food the beauty of it or us inside what curdled our appetites simulated butter <laughs> and diet coke it curdles the gift. The same thing with our sexual appetite. Porn, for instance. It, 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 instead of heightening our experience of the gift of sex, it actually spoils it. Let me try to take the cat out of the bag. Sorry, guys. Women, if you struggle with this, just, just, let's just be totally candid. Here's the way this works. When a man begins to look at porn and then subsequently does the natural thing of masturbating to it. Let's, okay. No one is just looking at porn. Okay. Here's what happens it begins breaking down the way his sexuality was created by God. His sexuality was designed to be a mutual delight, a language to actually cultivate intimacy with his wife. But when he's doing it by himself with some strange girl in cyber space, guess what happens? A subtle shift occurs. Watch this. The God-given focus shifts from intimacy between two to intensity for one. Table for one, please and he focuses on his own intensity through self-gratification, it actually breaks down and corrodes the original purpose of his God-given sexuality. So when he goes back to enjoy sex with his wife, in a sense, he's broken. He's rewired. He's still in bed with his wife, but he's not looking for intimacy. He's looking to to duplicate the intensity that he's used to getting on the computer. Well, guess what? Newsflash. No woman, no wife is capable of generating that kind of artificial intensity that the web offers. She will never measure up to those tapes that you play in your head. The shrink-wrapped, hermetically sealed fantasy you indulge in private, you will never taste in reality. And porn can take you to levels of intensity no human being is capable of bringing you to. And so the gift spoils because it's hard to go back. Because like, well, you know, intimacy now seems impossible without those fantasies playing. And it breaks down this sacred connection that God was like, you're going to have together for faux food. Mildly nourishing, nice going down, not remotely satisfying. you see how this works? Feeding our appetites, indulging the flesh, erodes our natural capacity for God-ordained beauty and joy in his gifts. And it also leads us out of relationship into isolation. This is like the, the coup d'etat of the whole thing. Food and sex, one of the byproducts, is that God wants to use these gifts actually to draw us into closer relationship with other people. Some of you are like, well, I can see the sex thing. Tell them the food. Go back to food lust. In the Bible, there is the ancient concept of table fellowship. Has anyone heard of this in the Middle East? It is the custom of inviting someone you love to your home, opening your home, and to share a meal with them. In the breaking of, we talked about the breaking of bread. It is a symbol of sharing, of mutuality. It's why when you want to get to know someone better, you say what? Like, hey, you know, you want to go out to dinner or something? Or, you know, come over, I'll cook for you. Because food is meant to be communal. It's meant to bring people into relationship. If you are a food addict, most of the overeating is done where? In solitude, because I'm actually embarrassed. You don't want anyone to see you eating the whole box. So you sneak it. Or you curl up on the couch, you know, alone with your secret vice. My, my dad had. Uh, my dad did not have the typical male vices, but he had one vice that he could never overcome. It is called entomins. Anyone know entomins? Oh yes. Thank. You. Why didn't we give that out? I would be in a coma by now if we gave that out. Cheese raspberry Danish entomins. The mini chocolate chip cookies. Have you ever heard of ppopums? Pop'ums, they're like those little donuts. They don't even bother like naming them donuts. They're just like, let's just name them Pop'ums. Just show them how many they can just, you know, the, the process by which they just... just get them down, you know? My dad has this thing with enemies, but the deal was my mom was a food Nazi growing up. You know, everything was like fresh cut. And she's like, Dale, don't bring that junk in the house. She's like, okay, you know. And she would be making her meals. So the best part is I was turned 17 years old, learned to drive. I get to take my dad's little Chevette out. First time ever. He's like, check, you know, make sure you have your license and registration. Be safe. Be careful. So I get in dad's little Chevette. I get in. I start the cart. And then I check in the, I open the glove compartment. And what comes out? It was like raining pop-ums. Woo! And all these crumbs, raspberry, cheese, Danish, I was like, wait, and I slammed it, shut. I was like, what the, open it up, all these cookies come out and everything, I go out, I come back, I come back with the keys, give it to my father, he's like, were you careful with my baby, I go, oh yeah, there's not a scratch on the crumb mobile, and he's like whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> He's like no and my mom's like and she's like what what i was like the crumb moment he's like no 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 no, no. <laughs> let's to keep it my, my we ate, we had food you know wonderful meals every night but dad secret vice why because actually i got to maintain distance from anyone else in my family even knowing this we all have our glove compartment gluttony makes us solitary we place ourselves apart even at a table of sharing in the most extreme cases, instead of opening up our table to others to enjoy food together, we actually lock ourselves behind the door, binging in secret, or ashamed to have anyone even hear us purging. God intended food as a gift to bring people together. In Revelation, in heaven, the vision in heaven is of God's family around what? A great banquet table. And they're laughing, and they're eating, and they're enjoying one another's company, and food lust makes us loners. It's the same way with sexual lust, only even more blatant. I mean, what what was the goal of sex? As God originally ordained it here in Genesis, what's it say? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, he'll actually get out of his parents' house, and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This is an amazing term. There's going to be this kind of intimacy, this this physical encounter that is so deeply vulnerable and sacred that it has the effect of actually taking two people, actually bonding them into one flesh where you won't even begin to know where the other starts and the other ends because now they're one. This is a picture of marital intimacy that God designed us to experience, to savor, find comfort and joy. It's a sacred picture. And there is not, mark this, there's nothing more beautiful than an open and joyous and creative sex life between a husband and wife within the context of marriage. It is supposed to be, in God's mind, a joyful, ecstatic experience. God's like, anything goes, eat your fill. I have given you as a gift to each other, one flesh. But when we indulge sex out of that context, outside the garden of delight, same thing. We don't experience the joy of authentic love but the cardboard taste of an imposter. Listen to Fairley's contrast. I love how he put this. I thought he was very poetic. He says, Love wants to enjoy, in other ways, the human being whom it has enjoyed in bed. It actually looks forward to having breakfast. But in the morning, lust is always furtive. It dresses as mechanically as it undressed and heads straight for the door to return to its own solitude. Some of you know exactly what he's talking about. The heartache of, lo- of loveless, commitmentless sex. Just, just physical exchange, I guess. No heart connection. We think what will draw us closer to our boyfriend and it actually makes us feel even more distant from him. Why? Because lust always promises what it can't deliver. This is the betrayal that deceived Adam and Eve back in the garden. Some of us are still eating this fruit today and it's just killing us. It's eroding our capacity for joy, for gratitude, and actually driving us away from God and others. So what, what is your devil dog? What, what would that be for you in one of those areas? Do you have any plan like, to even like, address, let alone overcome that addiction this year? I, I know this can be a painful topic for many of us, but you're not to give up hope and like stop here. This is like, where the world stops, and that's it's like, oh, great, now I feel more hopeless and more guilty about the whole thing. Paul is saying all this to point the way forward in the rest of Ephesians 4.19. This is incredible because at verse 19 he says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over, continue lust for more. But then verse 20, what's he say? You, however, Carol, you, you did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him. And you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. If you have struggled with curbing your appetite, or maybe you, 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 you know, you've, you've made a lifestyle of misusing food or misusing sex, here's the truth. You are powerless. But God is not. 2,000 years after the Garden of Delight, a man claiming to be God came to this world, To Redeem Redeem means get a second chance to broken creation, to broken humanity, to begin the process of returning everything to its original design. His name was Jesus. This is the amazing thing. Scripture says that this guy, Jesus, was tempted in every way we are, yet was what? Without sin. In fact, if you recall... When Jesus first started his earthly ministry, Jesus went out into the desert where he fasted. He actually did not eat for 40 days. And guess who appears to him after 40 days? It's serpent. And do you remember one of the first temptations? Jesus, if you're really God, tell these stones to turn to bread. Did Jesus have a right to do that? Yes. Did Jesus have power to do that? Yes. He was hungry. He was lonely. He was 40 days he hadn't eaten. And yet... Jesus didn't see that as a physical issue, but as a spiritual one. Jesus answered. He said, no, 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 no. It's written. Man does not live on bread alone. It's not just about your physical appetite, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, behind every physical crisis is a spiritual issue. And to blindly indulge and actually go, you know what, I'm powerless, just like misses the point. It like misses it. Fruit is fine, bread is fine, but if you're looking to them to give you something more than a meal, if you're looking for comfort or escaping the spiritual relational pain of life, you're deceived. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but in every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, only God can be counted on to deliver what he promises, to actually meet the deepest needs when we're at our weakest, when we're vulnerable, when we are in the midst of temptation. Indulging the flesh is like never the answer. It's an impostor. But feasting on God Himself, especially His Word, is now. Matthew four four is going to be our memory verse. We're actually committing to scripture memory. Apparently, Jesus thought this was important to do. He actually had this lodged in his memory, this Old Testament text. So, in your bullet, it says scripture memory verse. You write Matthew four four. Man doesn't live on bread alone. It's not just about my physical appetites, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The point is this, folks. Your physical appetites and how you handle them are a spiritual issue. And the question is, will you look to God when you're when you're vulnerable, for instance? When, when you're lonely, you will be lonely at some point. Instead of turning to, flipping on the monitor, logging on, turning to porn, for instance, could you turn to the Word of God and say, Jesus, you, gee, I know th- this is not about sex. There's something deeper here. I know it's being held out here. This, I... Father, I am lonely. I sometimes wonder if there is anyone. And I know I am am looking for the shortcut to intimacy at this moment. Jesus, I need your help. I need to hear the, the word. And you hear, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always, particularly in this moment of deepest temptation. My spirit is here for you. You've got choices. What if when you're stressed, instead of going to the ice box, you don't in- invoke the spirit of Jenny Craig, but the spirit of God? This isn't about self-will or like discipline. Throughout his life, Jesus fasted. He actually denied himself food. And it brought greater focus to his reliance on God. Even though he got physically weaker, it had the effect of making him spiritually uh, uh, strengthening him. Uh, Fasting is one of those ways. It's a discipline where we actually put food in its place and we like recalibrate our dependence on God for spiritual strength. I love this exchange in John 4 because his disciples, of course, didn't get it. They had like a big day of ministry out together. And so his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they're like, are you holding out on us? Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Did did Peter go to Taco Bell and tell us what happened here? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. One of the greatest sources of spiritual strength for Jesus is that he curbed his physical appetite. He actually denied his physical desires at times so he could instead nourish himself with the word in presence of, of God Himself, which is the only thing that can meet these deeper needs for acceptance, for companionship, for loneliness, for, for salvation itself. Jesus never accepted lust as a substitute for love. Never and neither must we. Jesus never attempted like to live a, a sinless life through sheer willpower, and neither must we. In fact, if you're about following Jesus, much of the art of following in Jesus' footsteps is actually to acknowledge our weakness and our dependence on God. To ask Him actually to fill the empty places within us with His Spirit, a Spirit that's more powerful than any resolution to try harder or just control myself. So here's practical application. Are you someone who has trouble with food? You struggle with that. You've tried everything. Jenny Craig, Weight Watch, that whole thing. Have you invited God into that? One of the practical temptations is that we mistakenly see food addiction as primarily a weight loss or it's like a self-control issue. It's more than that. Willpower can only suppress your desire. Only God's power can actually change them. That's why most resolutions like to lose weight or or, or break addictions to food. Ultimately fail. Why? They're motivated by vanity, not virtue. Vanity says, I want to look better. It's self-focused. Virtue actually says, you know what, I actually want to put food back in its rightful place in my life so I can honor God with all of me, including my body. Apparently this is a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides in me. How many of us have tried that, that stuff, you know, all, all that all that weight loss stuff? Have you invited God into that? Or if you're anorexic or you're, you're bulimic, have you seen that as just like a food issue, maybe even seen like a control issue? Could you invite God into this and actually surrender control to him? Because there is freedom, but only Jesus can lead the way out. Or maybe it's been porn or it's sexual addiction. Have you invited God into it? Because here's the deal. You will not overcome it alone. That's just the truth. There's freedom, but the road is hard. The freedom is hard won. And you will need to see this not just as a sex issue, but a spiritual one primarily. It is about how you're using, using, using sex to meet primal needs that God alone can meet. So if you struggle with loneliness or rejection or self-worth, only God can tell you who you are. And likely you are going to need probably some counseling because it's a web and it's tangled and it's shadowy. You're going to need some people to help navigate and speak truth and shed light because part of that whole thing is, I want to stay in the shadows so no one really knows what's going on. That's why we have three counselors on staff here. You will need accountability. One of the reasons we have Amy Crawford, who has experience handling eating disorders, or Cliff Moore, who can help with sexual addictions and issues. Maybe this is your year to finally stop the devil dog addiction and curb, curb your appetite for good. You can be forgiven no matter what a mess you've made. Jesus can forgive you. You can be free no matter how hopeless you feel. No matter what cycle you are caught in or secret sin, Jesus can give you the power to break free. A brand new you is possible. You can become a new creature by trusting Jesus. It's interesting. But to close and bring us forward, Jesus invited his followers to do something unheard of in the first century. It actually, the early church, one of the main accusations against them was that the church of Jesus Christ is a cult of cannibals. Do you know why? Because Jesus made a statement to them one time where he said in John 6.51... I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Listen to what he says. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Most of the world heard that in the Roman Empire as a call to cannibalism. He said, he who has ears, let him hear. My body is about to be broken on a cross for you and only a God who has hung on a cross to give you freedom can deliver. Only a God who has bled his own can actually wash away your sin. Your past failures don't have to define you. Your current addictions don't have to enslave you. Whoever puts their trust in my sacrifice on a cross for them can have a new kind of life that is lived now under my power. Because willpower is not enough, but God's power is. Folks, I don't know what your devil dog is today, but you have a chance to come, come clean. To actually invite Jesus to take control of your life and lead you towards freedom and renewal we kind of got around to thinking, what better way to conclude our series, Brand New You, particularly one on Curbing Your Appetite, than by celebrating communion. Some of you know what communion is. It was the last meal, the last supper that Jesus shared actually with his disciples. He would give his life to redeem us, and he said, come to my table. He actually invited them into table fellowship. Anyone who wants to surrender their whole life to me, come to my table and eat the real food. This Bread broken is my body for you. This wine is my blood that paid your ransom. Anyone is welcome. But you simply have to feel your need, and you simply have to confess that to God. You know what confession is, by the way? It's telling God something He already knows about you. Everyone hold up their devil dog. What's your devil dog? This is your chance to come honest with God about something he knows. Scripture says before we approach the table, we need to let, examine ourselves actually. So when you come up here, you're going to come down the center aisle actually and you'll notice next to the communion table is a garbage can. And maybe this is your moment. Maybe this is your recommitment to sobriety. Because when you throw your devil dog into the can, you're going to be asking God for the strength to stay clean just one more week. Just one. One day, tomorrow. Maybe, though, maybe this represents what's on your hard drive. Okay? No one else knows your browser history yet. Yet. But God does. And here's the deal. He's not here to shame you. He's here to forgive and help if you want him. But you have to ask him. Or maybe this devil dog, maybe this devil dog represents a devil dog. If you struggle with food, come. Surrender control to Jesus. Because only the God who actually created the apple is, has the power to curb your appetite. Invite him this year. Make it a spiritual challenge, not just a physical one. But you pray. Take some time to talk honestly with God. And then you come up and approach this table for the only thing that can set you free. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Let it be an act of surrender And let it be an act just of renewal. No more resolutions, folks. You need His power in every area of your life and believe that He is willing to give it to you today. So let's just take a moment. We're going to take a moment to pray silently. Um, This is your chance. I'll just shut up and you you can talk with God. Just be honest about Him, about what He has been stirring in you, and then I will give some final instructions. Jesus, thank you that we can approach you in full confidence when we are humble, Lord, and honest before you. And the full promise is full pardon and full embrace. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every man and woman here, Lord. We know it's not instantaneous, but we just ask, Lord, that this moment would even begin something new in your children. God. Something new that will continue tomorrow at Monday, Lord. It won't just leave us unchanged, Father, but take a step, God experiencing your power more fully in every area of our life. Thank you, Jesus, for your life. Fill us with your life, your spirit, as we go from this place. It's in your name we ask. All God's people said, amen.